Welcome. We are the Projectile Lunchcast, a group of friends with a combined professional video games industry experience of over 20 years. More importantly, we have collectively been discussing video games for close to a century, including during most of our lunch breaks. People forced to witness these arguments kept telling us to just get a room and make a podcast. So that's what we did. We don't think they had any idea what they were bargaining for, yet here we are. And we couldn't be more excited to have you, dear listener, join us on this adventure. Marcel's not around. I just mentioned that. Up yeah. Yeah. You're going to act like we're enjoying this for once, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Welcome to the Projectile Lunchcast. This is episode 29. We are here today. I am here today. Marcel is not here today, but I am here today. I'm Richard. I am joined, as always, by Basti. Hi, hi. And with special guest, I will probably, uh, in the edit, let Catherine O'Hara introduce him. We've got Kevin. Hi, thanks for me. Thanks for coming back again. <laughs> ah. So, when Marcel's not here, doesn't mean we can talk about um, anime? Just anime for an hour and a half now. <laughs> uh, probably not. I'm going to be doing, doing an anime cast this time. We've got actual big boy topics, okay? Um, oh, okay, interesting. But uh, we would all get collectively yelled at by the internet if we didn't talk about uh, our anniversary in games, it's games, birthdays. What games came out today? And on this day, January 30th, two games came out that, that you probably know. Anybody play Skulls of the Shogun? That rings a bell. Wait, what was it again? You're going to make me work extra hard on the edit because I'll have to put crickets in. <laughs> no, no, that, that, it rings a bell, right? What, what was it again? Uh, it's, uh, oh, wait, this is Tactic, Top Down, yes. uh, Shading, uh, Xbox Arcade game. Mm-hmm. Was it probably also released on Steam? I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think the game's been around. Okay. Skeleton, Skeleton Samurais. Skeleton Samurais feature heavily in Skulls of the Shogun. That's good. Ne- ne- never never wow. played it. Okay, maybe you've heard... But it's of, like Pit People, right? It's like what? It's not like Pit People. Is it like Pit People? I don't know, because I've never played Skulls of Shogun. Have you played Pit People? <laughs> yes. This is not the game's birthday today. We're not talking about Pit People. Oh. We can talk about, if it makes you feel any better, Life is Strange. Oh, yeah. That's weird to, to talk about if it makes you feel any better. I lo- actually love Life is Strange. You like Life is Strange? Yes. I, I absolutely adore it. It's a great game. But it make me feel shitty. Really? <laughs> yeah, because at, at the end I did a horrible you're thing. Spoil, you're spoiling the end. I no, don't. I'm not spoiling the end. I just said I did a horrible thing. Don't spoil I would it. do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did the exact same thing, and fuck yes, I would do it again. That game had one choice for the ending, and I took it. Yeah. Uh, but if you haven't had a chance to play Life is Strange, check it out. Have you guys played any of the, the other ones? Uh, I played Before the Storm. Did not play Before the Storm. Which is really good in regards because it gives you a strong Twin Peaks vibe. Oh, okay. Um, Last time you people told me that you were pitching Alan Wake, though, so... No, it, it has this kind of like, I mean, it's not as crazy as, as, as Firewalk with me or whatever, but it obviously tells you the prequel story which leads up to Life is Strange, which is very in, in the wake of Firewalk with me, if you so will. Uh, it's really good. The ending was a little bit eh, but I cannot talk about that yeah. mm, because of spoilers, obvious reasons. I 
dug into um, the second season. Mm -hmm. But for some, I cannot even like blame the game for that, but it was not really doing it for me. It has more this kind of like being on the road. That might sound road stupid. Trip, yeah, road trip vibe. It has a little bit this kind of like Walking Dead feeling from Telltale. Not because of zombies, but because of like changing, switching sceneries all yeah. the time. Never being in one spot. So you never can really um, start to grow on certain NPC characters or whatever. Because they're different in each episode or whatever. It was like, it's hard to put a, put a finger on it. But I did not enjoy it that much. But it's actually, to be honest, it's very well written, the second one. Did you get in any Life is Strange? Uh, yeah, I played the first one, not before the storm, but I played the first episode of yeah. the season two. Mm -hmm. But I was waiting for the whole season uh, before coming back. And yeah. uh, now I can, but I didn't take the time. So no so, opinion on the seven one. So when the whole, the whole thing's wrapped up, you, you, you like the first Life is Strange? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That seems to be a common narrative that I've heard about. Uh, yeah, so happy birthday to those games. Um, I guess uh, Basti's going to have to play Skulls of the Shogun sometime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so every once in a while, uh, we realize that we're, uh, we're not being um, either professional or impactful. And when that happens, we get Kevin on board to help us out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he brought a banger of a topic. It's a really, really great topic. I, I was uh, excited to dig into it. Would you like to give us an introduction? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, the indie apocalypse, uh, which came a few years ago, and talk about the fact uh, if you think that uh, the indie apocalypse uh, has ended or no. And uh, to explain to people who are not maybe familiar with indie apocalypse, it's the fact that uh, at some points uh, during uh, the indie game uh, history, uh, there was too much indie game, and the uh, developer called this uh, the indie apocalypse because it was really hard to get attention and to make sales uh, at the, in comparison as before was there were a few indie games and uh, it was easy for them to make money and make games again. Yeah, that is a pretty good uh, uh, summary of it. And the first thing I was, was going to try and do is maybe crystallize a few terms so we're all on the same page here, mm -hmm. right? So when we're talking about indies, indie games in this context, I think we're, we're going to uh, just all agree that, that we'll stay away from the, the broad definition of a game without a publisher, mm -hmm. especially because that's, that's become super relevant lately. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, so we're not, we're not talking about, uh, about like, uh, what was it, like, uh, like a Robert Space Industries, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> Star Citizen is an indie game, right? Not, mm -hmm. not, nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're talking about small team, small budget, yeah. and, just, uh, and just the landscape of that. Uh, one, of the, one of the interesting things... When I started digging into the uh, the indie apocalypse uh, concept, there's not a consensus on whether or not the indie apocalypse is real, like yeah. if it yeah. actually happened. Yeah. So that's that's one of the one of the things that I that I wanted to ask you guys first. Do you think that this is a is a phenomenon that is is a, a real happening, or is it mm. kind of blown out? I, I I think to be honest, a little bit blown out of proportion. It was around I think like 2015 with Steam Greenlight when yeah. everything went down, kinda. So usually when we talk about apocalypses in, in video games, you had, I mean, you had obviously um, Atari as an example, the big downfall of Atari. You had several video game crashes, if you so will, in the industry, which were serious. Yeah. Atari was one of the most prominent ones, right? Yeah. Uh, you had several bubbles, but I would not say that 
the indie game industry went down as hard so that you can talk yeah. from an economic standpoint that it completely crashed. Yeah. May, in my opinion, it normalized to yeah, a certain you're right. degree. You're absolutely right. And I think uh, the term is interesting because, uh, of course, they said indie apocalypse to make it catchy. Mm. But, for example, I don't think it's, uh, in, it's an apocalypse uh, for the same reason because people talk about indie apocalypse in the fact that like, there is indie everywhere. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the problem is not that there is no more indies, there is too, too much, much indies. Indie, yeah. And this is the indie apocalypse. Yeah, that's, that's also one of the definitions I really heard. And, and this, the thing that makes this kind of different from the other, uh, the other stuff that, that's happened, like uh, you mentioned the Atari crash, uh, casual games, was it the big, the big fish, bubble fish, yeah, the the mobile gaming boost, the, yeah, the yeah. Facebook gaming boost. The, the thing the thing with those is that a lot of times uh, you, you notice a rapid drought of, yeah. of that type of game come out. Like Farmville is not a thing anymore. That that seems to be yeah. to be any sort of limelight. But the the indie apocalypse is is kind of about a flood of a certain type of, of game, which is which is an interesting way to approach it. So I mean, in in that sense, um, I, I think uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like it is a catchy title. But it is not uh, not an apocalyptic event, meaning that there are no more indie games. Yeah. There will be no more indie games. I yeah. think uh, I think uh, the the best way to look at this, and the way that a lot of people have been looking at this, is is as a shifting sand of the of the industry. Yeah, and like right. what it what it means. And you you pointed right because uh, all all of this is because of uh, the end of green lights because green lights bring a lot of indies uh, on the scene mm. and uh, when uh, Valve decided to end Greenlights and uh, said that uh, anybody can sell their game on the platform a few years ago yep. this is where the indie apocalypse got crazy because there was so much games and this is why also a lot of indies get uh, editors on the day because it's really hard alone to make your marketing and uh, to, to get visibility so that's right so that uh, event that you're referring to is called Steam Direct yeah. Uh, anybody can put a game on Steam now for a hundo buck, <laughs> um, and it's been the last two years have been kind of steady. It's grown, it's grown up since uh, since Greenlight, like the amount of games on Steam. But the yeah. last two years, it has held steady in a robust uh, around eight thousand games. Yeah. So that is a, a shitload of games. And it's not curated anymore, which uh, which will become relevant earlier. But for those who don't know, when Steam first came out, you had to uh, haggle with Valve themselves about when your game was coming out they would get you a release window where there was not a lot of stuff coming out uh, in fact one of the people i'll mention earlier has a pretty good story where uh, where his first game that, that made it onto steam they got him a release window where no other games were coming out that day yeah uh, and then for his latest game that he put out uh, 44 other games were coming out that day so that stuff is a, a little um unavoidable with what they're doing so so yeah i think i think you're right that that is the that is the big wave uh, of where indie turned from a kind of curated experience, um, which is which is kind of getting back to on Epic. Yeah. Um, but you know, like uh, if we if we think back to when when indies really got into the the limelight in terms of accessibility, it's, it's you know the summer of arcades on Xbox. It's uh, Steam when it was still kind of curated, uh, friend of everyone, um, and that's kind of that's kind of blown up now. One event that we would be um, that we'd be remiss in not talking about happened last year in the middle of summer where uh, Steam changed their discovery methods. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm sure you guys know about this, but I think it was, what was it, tail end or middle last year, right? Uh, I think, yeah, October, tail end. Mid- yeah, yeah, middle sounds, sounds about right. Steam, uh, Steam changed their, their, uh, their, the way that uh, their users discover games 
uh, through their algorithms. They call it the discovery update. Uh, now, their, their claim, their idea, their, their intention was that it would increase visibility of smaller games on Steam. But uh, pretty, much, uh, pretty much the day after this thing came out, like a lot of indie devs were just kind of like, hey, this did, uh, this did the exact opposite. Um, developers claim that they're wish or claim. I mean, they can show these numbers, so I'm not trying to say that they're alleging these things. But a lot of developers came forward and said that their wish list sales were super negatively impacted by the update. Um, the what what they do speculate on is is how that algorithm changed. I know Steam has talked about it a little bit, but uh, they don't tend to provide um, you know the the, the solid yeah. numbers into what's being searched. But the, the 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 common the common speculation is that uh, a game's revenue has been given more consideration when they recommend yeah. a game, mm-hmm. and uh, that the the tag similarity. So on Steam, you can tag games a certain way. Uh, this is, you know, this is our yeah. survival game. Um, tag similarity has been defocused a little bit. Yeah. And uh, what, what they're claiming, the, the, the kind of result of this is, is that games don't have a lead up. Like upcoming games don't get as much of a spotlight as they have, um, which can really can really affect your, yeah. your, your indie scene. Uh, what do you guys think about the way Steam currently is with indie games? <laughs> I'm a little bit torn on that matter. So one thing is, I think, yes, it became a little bit harder for indie games to to, to be prominent on Steam. But um, in order to end up on a, like, how, it would be, I would wonder how many people actually found out an indie game via the, oh, here are 10 games to pick, choose one if you like, put it on your wish list, whatever. Yes, I think there is an amount of, maybe a significant amount of players. But to be honest, for a long time, Indie games, um, I had the feeling focused with all their in captions marketing efforts on oh we are just on Steam and maybe we can get in touch with some guys at press at some some uh, PAX East or West or whatever and get a little bit of coverage. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not enough. Yeah, and I mean that's 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 definitely something that I think uh, you, you'll you'll hear a lot repeated. But I'm saying like Steam alone, you're saying is just not yeah. Not, not a place. The, the thing is, like, it made it harder for indie devs. Yeah. But at the same time, digital marketing, um, getting um, your game out to various channels, discussed in various communities, etc., is, and the opposite, easier than ever. Is, right? that, is that fair to say, though, that it made it harder for indie devs? One of the, one of the key themes that we'll keep touching on is visibility and how important that is. And that's, there's, there's no question that more yeah. games equals less eyeballs. Yeah. But it's easier than ever to put a game on Steam. Is that inherently, in your opinion, a good thing or a bad thing? I would say it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, why should an entry, a harder entry barrier... I mean, at the same thing, you can argue that the easy entry barrier made cost the India apocalypse and the flood of games. But... Um, Competition should be in, in in theory good for your good for your market, right? And um, and if you make a good game, and if you do your research on how to market your game and how to get to get it to the right people, then in theory you should be able to come out of to- on top. Mm. Cameron, what do you what do you think about Steam lately? Uh, I th- I think for uh, for me, I think uh, we need curation in video games, mm-hmm. and this is why I understand the shift of Steam. Who wants to become uh, the Amazon of video games? Uh, if a game exists, you can find it on Steam. But I don't like this because, uh, as Basti said, uh, this, there has been years since I've discovered a new indie game on Steam. And uh, when Greenlight was up, and before Greenlight, I discovered a lot of game on Steam. And today, uh, 
this is not the facts and I think this is a good thing that some people like uh, Epic are challenging Steam and yeah. like, ask themselves if this is a good this is a good thing because I agree that the indie apocalypse uh, get a lot of studio um, to to reflect on themselves and to get more professional on marketing on searching uh, where where the niche of games can which game could interest uh, which players but uh, in the end there is like uh, 1000 games was come out uh, last year and uh, even in the, in the previous year I think and today there is uh, I, I, I look at like uh, 1300 games on Steam it is so much in comparison in Epic Games there is uh, uh, I, I don't remember but not a lot of games and every game on Epic have really quality or interest, is interesting in a, in a way and on Steam there is so much things that Everything is so flooded with games that I think it's really hard to to get something as on the consumer side and on the developer side to to show you games because sometimes your game is good but there is so much game who looks the same that it disappears even if your game is good in its way. So I think we need curation in game and I'm convinced by this because uh, for example uh, Switch is like a new Eldorado, uh, Epic yeah. Games help a lot uh, in this in this kind of way too, but Steam has to change because, I mean, there is so much shovelware on Steam, uh, so much porn games so that nobody plays and are, are, are flooding the store. It's crazy. It's like, recently, they, uh, Steam suppressed like uh, 1,000 uh, 1, games of the store mm-hmm. uh, because they were not respecting the, um, uh, the chart of Steam and they were just not considered as games and there is like spywares and everything. So you have to ask to yourself uh, what Steam has become, and this is what not the Steam I want. So this, this is a great platform because there is a lot of tools for consumers and for developers, but they need a better creation. They need to make people do the creation. It's important, I think. It's probably a repeating theme of Steam's yeah. uh, Steam's Steam's diehard willingness to keep their hands off of anything. You know, it kind of bites them in the ass sometimes. Like, like I don't want to touch. I don't want to touch reviews. User reviews. Uh, curation. Uh, tell you what. If you want to be a Steam curator, you can curate your own collection, and people can follow you. Uh, recommending games. We'll see what what's kind of selling. And uh, you know, like like the the Amazon of games is kind of a good comparison in that yeah. sense because it's like yeah, they're also just as hands off with their third party sellers and how much bullshit is. Yeah, yeah. They they just I think they want to. They want to keep the idea of like we've got we are where the players are we are where the eyeballs are yeah. so the chances are bigger but uh, we're not going to help yeah um, and, and it's interesting because you you'd think that as much as as because I'm kind of in the same camp as you Basti like I would say like uh, when I when I read about it it's like it's like hey you're putting out a competent indie game your competition is not uh, asset swap bullshit games your competition is not two dollar uh, flash animation games. Your your competition is other indie games. So like, it, 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 I think the the way what I would like to see to make us a little more comfortable in that sentiment is more indie dev saying like, yo, uh, I'm I'm trying to get on Epic. I can't get on Epic. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to get on GOG. It's not happening. Exactly. You know, and yeah. I, I'm not seeing enough of that yet. Yeah, you know? I think you you hit an important uh, you you, uh, you mentioned an important thing. Uh, maybe we, we should, like, everything is an indie game, but maybe we should differentiate. In my opinion, you have indie games and you have games made by amateurs. And I don't mean it, like, in a derogative way, 
I just want to do a game. It's easier than ever. You have the, the low entry barrier. Just get Unity, get some stuff together. Boom, can can release it probably on, on Steam without a big issue whatsoever. Am I a proper indie developer? Yeah, you see. Or am I just an amateur creating game? It's the same as I would create, um, took photographs, yeah. put them up on Instagram and say I'm a professional photographer I'm indie, or I'm an indie photographer. Maybe uh -huh. I just do it because I like it. Maybe I grow into an indie developer that way. Mm -hmm. But is that your competition? The thing is, that is something different to, to let's say, the, the, the booming in 2014, 2015, or even a little bit earlier. Your competition changed in a way that you're now up to a lot of established indie developers who release several, several games. There are various publishers now taking care of, of uh, independent brands or development uh, indie, indie brands. And there's a lot of benefit to that. It's easier than ever to find a publisher. If you go to guys like, um, if it is 11-bit or if it is, um, ah, what's their name again? Hotline Miami and all these Devolver. games. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. go to Devolver, etc., to pitch something. Um, so this became easier, but at the same time, your competition became more versatile, more experienced, and they have now a lot of like experience under the belt. Some of them became even like triple A indie games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is, the, you're not the only person kind of suggesting uh, evolution. I think that's, I think that's the way out for a lot of this stuff for for indie devs. I mean, like it, just as any other industry shifts, we have to be able to meet that shift, and we'll get into a couple of uh, of people that I that I um, that I felt kind of pushed messages that, that would be easily relatable to me. There's a ton of material on this. Uh, the uh, the uh, Steam Spy uh, founder, Sergei yeah. Galyonkin, did a, a pretty good... Um, I, I, it wasn't GDC, but he did a talk that you could find pretty easily about how these events happen in the industry and how they're not going to stop, you know, like mm -hmm. things uh, things kind of shift. But uh, but I got a couple. Um, just, to, just to tie in with your idea of like... like it's going to be harder than ever to be a truly independent developer. Yeah. Um, I think that that's, that's, that's maybe a takeaway that I'm getting out of this. So uh, let me introduce, because I'll do it. What, they, what these guys did, these, these are both, um, they both have done GDC talks. I haven't gotten mm -hmm. the material purely from their GDC talks, but I'm, I'm saying that to the audience because if you guys want to look them up, you can watch these guys talk about this stuff. Uh, the first one that, uh, that, uh, that I wanted to talk about was Mike Rose. Do you guys know who Mike Rose is? Yeah. So Mike Rose used to write a lot about games for Gamasutra, uh, IndieDev.com. Oh, okay. uh, now he uh, started his own publishing label called uh, No More Robots. Um, and he, he has been for, I'd say, at least three years now doing talks on, on how uh, Steam is affecting sales, uh, how, how yeah. games are selling on Steam, and what it's like to, to be indie. Uh, and the other person that I am uh, going to talk about is Jason Rower, and I hope I'm saying that right, uh, R-O-H-E-R. Um, he made uh, the Castle Doctrine, uh, which which kind of oh okay, out. and he also made uh, One Year One Life, which I had not heard of. Have you guys heard of nope. that? No, nope. no. Yeah, so that that is kind of the crux of his talk of like having a game that, that everybody has heard of versus a game that he's released now. Interesting. Um, yeah. So what I'll do is I'll kind of break down what they what they were talking about, and then I'll break down what they think you need to do later. So it's the bleak the bleak <laughs> their their idea of the bleak reality, and then hopefully what they think. Uh, will get you out of that bleak reality. So uh, Mike Rose, check out. Um, he he put out on his Twitter a uh, a um, guide to Steam sales called "How Well Are PC Games Selling on Steam in 2019." 
He also has a, GD talk, a GDC talk called Let's Be Realistic, a deep dive into how games are selling on Steam. And those are kind of interesting to watch because they're a year apart. Mm-hmm. So it's a continuation of his of his um, his theories on that. And I'm just going to kind of distill a couple of the points that I got out of that. Um, in general, he's saying that uh, PC games on, on Steam have been making less money in average for the past few years. And he centers this on a few points. Okay. The average developer is pricing their game lower, which definitely isn't helping them. Now, Mike Rose, the more you get into him, the more he will tell you to charge more for your games. Now, I have completed two indie games so far this year in January, so I feel like I'm doing okay. Uh, and one of those was Hypnospace Outlaws. It's fantastic. No More Robots published that game. Um, that game is a six to eight hour experience if you're really dragging it out. And believe me, I love 90s internet, so I really really savored that that game is 20 bucks so he is putting his he's putting your money where his mouth is no he's not selling those games cheap um i I, for full disclosure i did get it on sale so maybe his idea is uh wish list editions are a way to plug into people that aren't going to see you on steam every day on that front page you put you on the wish list you get those updates you're going to see when that thing is on sale um he also says that you could argue that more people are playing free games like Fortnite and LOL and Apex. Uh, <sighs> yeah, but, but to be honest, this like the free-to-play bubble that was also a bubble which actually really bursted, and this thing has been going on since 2010 or 11. So by the time the indie game scene rose, we had already a very, very, very strong free-to-play economy and scene. So I think, um, I think where uh, that tears into, what, what that turns into, and you'll see both of these guys, Mike Rose and, uh, and, and Jason Rohr, uh, mention is on retention and having players play long. So uh, one, of the great, one of the better quotes that I liked from Jason was, uh, was people don't say for, for you know, chess, they don't say, hey, have you played that game chess? Say, are you a chess player? People aren't saying, hey, have you played the Castle Doctor? And they're saying, hey, are you a Fortnite player? Are yeah, yeah. Player? I think it's interesting, the fact uh, that you talk about um, free-to-play games. Because, for example, I think the success of Epic and the indie on um, Epic mm-hmm. come from the fact that, the fact that uh, Epic succeed to transform the casual players who were grabbed by Fortnite and the promise of a free game and make them into uh, consumers. Because I think there is a lot to do with this because you're right, people, uh, the the players who play um, free-to-play games are not usually players who want to play something else or to buy games, but when you show them something close or something that they want to do at, uh, at the good price, is with time, you, you make them consumers, and I think this is uh, an imp- important and Epic is a good example for this. I agree. They're also a good example of kind of bucking the trend of being horrible clones and being very successful of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't complain. I sat there on that Epic launcher and got like, what, 10, 15 free games mm-hmm. yeah. uh, over Christmas? So, okay. That is what it is. Um, he also suggests, uh, you know, the same thing. A uh, number of games coming out is still rising month by month. More games mm-hmm. are coming out now than ever. Uh, he suggests that subscription services could be eroding the perception of value in games. Mm. Now, that, that's that's something that they, they've also... Like, price points are his thing. So, I mean, he's coming from a place where the App Store has definitely influenced what people believe a game is worth. Yeah. 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 You know? That, yeah. That's that's where, he, where he's thinking. And that's why he's telling people not to sell your thing for four bucks. Yeah. Because... People that are coming from an app store, people that are in their head are like, four bucks is going to be shit. Yeah. 20 bucks, 
I'm already giving that more of a, a aspiration of production value yeah. than no. I would be otherwise. This is interesting because uh, when I started this subject, um, I thought a bit about it, at, uh, and I want your opinion, Basti, on uh, especially the game pass for indie game. Do you think this is good <laughs> for indie games? <laughs> um, in general, I think it's really, really good. Um, so you have the problem that many indie games um have usually maybe a, a short amount of like game time if you're like maybe four eight ten hours game which psychologically leads to people just buying you in a sale because you're like oh i would really like to play that game but i'm not willing to play 20 bucks buying it in a sale still the idea of like selling there for 20 bucks is good because it gives you more room to actually make a discount on that game mm -hmm. so if you end up With a 20 bucks title selling it for 10 in a discount it hurts less than selling a 10 bucks title for five yeah. but anyway i think it gives you a lot of visibility in the actual store um a lot of reviews if you have some sort of um i mean there's absolutely a place where you as an indie uh, i know it's an elephant in the room talking about microtransactions but think about maybe there is some value i can also add to my game which then when people buy my game during a game pass can buy into like an expansion or something else which which adds to that strategy games are usually very good with that you get the base game and game pass as an example like surviving on mars but if you want to have the expansions you have to pay for it so there's a lot of stuff you can do but i think in general game pass is a thing where a lot of people who probably would have never bought your game in the first mm -hmm. place actually get into your game was like, oh this is neat in the game i wanted to play all the time but i never actually bothered to play it or console players who are not so used or not spending so much time on steam mm -hmm. actually buying your game you get reviews you get stars which means you get bumped in the actual microsoft store more people writing about your game in the internet more people talk on reddit etc so it, it bumps yeah. visibility and Obviously, you get money for that. To be honest, But I can see the, studios just making money out of Game Pass deals. That, that's the question. I, I, I think time will tell because I, I haven't. Maybe I just haven't seen it. But I, I think we need to know if this is going to be the Pandora or Spotify of games, where you know, like Pharrell can put out that fucking minion song. I agree. He, 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 you know, forty-three. Do you hear about this shit? Forty-three mm -hmm. million plays on this song. He got two grand. So I mean, I want to I want to see some some more devs. There would say, be. Look, I was on Game Pass. Yes, definitely a, a benefit for me. It's funny because uh, about Game Pass, this is pretty silence in comparison to Epic Store, where yeah. a lot of time we have numbers and Game Pass. We I, mean, not I'll, I think I think they'll go for it. I think they'll yeah. they'll weigh it as a net positive because, like I said, one of the things that that uh, that you see uh, ever since Summer of Arcade is that the less. You know, the more the more uh, curated your stuff is, the better chance you yeah. have if you make it in. Yeah. Right, also, so. stop stop complaining about the the difference and the issues with Steam mm. because we have 2020. You have to be a multi-platform release if, if you, you have a game. Yeah. How, how do you put a game on on Epic Launcher nowadays? Like, I have no idea. I know how to put a game on Steam. I'm an indie dev. Probably get in contact with Epic. Yeah, I think. Same so. for yeah. console distributors, but. Mm. Your aim and that is research, building connections, maybe having a publisher. So yes, this is work, but I think and it's also it's it's also but this this does tie in line with with what you're saying about about a kind of middle class hmm. of indie dev. It, it it is also a a considerable barrier and investment. You yeah. have to be comfortable, especially if you're quitting your day job about this. You have to be comfortable taking time to haggle with a store for them to. 
uh, control your release date for them to, yeah, sure. you know, mm-hmm. like uh, it, Does yeah, this publishers are going to take work? a cut if they don't want to cut up front, if they, you know. But you want to be not only on Game Pass, maybe you, you make your base money from Game Pass because it's worth it and you make a lot of extra money if you have a Switch release because mm-hmm. it's a great market to place to be right now. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and some of the Switch stuff coming out, like like you were saying, the yeah. Eldorado is an interesting way of saying it because like some of the data coming out about people doing ninety nine cent sales on Switch is just wild. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, I think the fear that that you you see a little recurring is that you know we're truly losing our independence, and I can't put out the game I want. Um, I, I think it's I, it's not true because yeah. a, lo- a lot of uh, of studios like uh, Larian or this kind of studios right. continue to to make their game alone, so you can. But I think, yeah, you need to be professional, uh, like Basti said, but I think we need curation also, like on Switch and on Epic, because sometimes uh, people with no experience can't make a good game. So you, I think we need to have both, like a professional uh, marketing and curation to help uh, people who don't know how marketing works, but sure. have a good game. So This is, you get a little bit of uh, a foreshadowing in, in what these guys are getting into. So just to wrap up Mike's uh, reasons why your game might not be doing fantastic, the last point he says is that the majority of games on Steam are, and I'm quoting, hot stinking garbage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Jason, Jason uh, has a different um, outlook on the indie apocalypse, and he he talks about it with a great deal. He's got a, he's got a few cases that go up there, and there's obviously exceptions. But he said that if he could change the name, he would call it the consumable game apocalypse. So uh, Jason's thing is that the the people that will suffer the most in the indie apocalypse are consumable games. And I'll name, he names some of those successful versions, so you can kind of get what we're going for. Uh, the Witness, uh, oh, okay. what happened to Edith Finch, uh, Gone Home. He says that those people will suffer the most because of, of the ways games coverage is shifting and what the effects are of having more games there. So um, he noted that uh, when he put out the Castle Doctrine, it got a lot of media push. You know, mm-hmm. he was doing the kind of old-fashioned um, AAA release model. That I say old-fashioned, like AAA releases still do this. Um, people put their games in a box on a PS4 are still doing this. Uh, and for a while, it worked for indie devs as well. So when he put out the Castle Doctrine, his thing was all about, like I said, he had that release day, no other competition. He's top of the Steam page, right? Like he's, he's got that carousel spot that everybody loves. He's got his press embargo set up. So he's got about, I think it was 12, 15 outlets covering this. You guys have heard of this game. Yeah. So I know it was covered. Hmm. Uh, by by the press by by something we would see because you know I haven't played this game and a lot of people same have, yeah but but you still hear about it um, and so so he, he straight up puts his sales figures up on the screen and you see like that day one spike of people are talking about it because the press is talking about it I'm front of Steam everything I want and then as as most game sales do it drops off right after that and then he showed his his latest game one year one life which I have not played but uh, his is uh, sales were um, for the first I think it was like the first week nothing and then it kind of shot up and and spiked about it and one of the things that he was talking about um, because he is a big fan of what he's calling infinite unique situation generators and it's kind of the same thing you guys are talking about it's a it's a touch on retention and keeping your game around as long as possible so he's talking about games like Factorio Prison Architect Stardew Valley Subnautica you know Mm -hmm. stuff that is a Unique situation. He said. He said one of the things that, that became apparent to him was how much a YouTube video would matter for him. Yeah. You know that YouTube coverage. 
It says if you have a consumable game like your your Edith Finch or your Witness or whatever, it's it's hard to to count on that same kind of coverage from a YouTube video mm-hmm. because the people that want to buy that game aren't going to get spoiled. Yeah. You know? And uh, the people who aren't aren't going to watch it. You know, so uh, like having these these infinite unique situation generators, he's got to come up with a better term for this. Um, the video coverage is is great. You know, you got streamers going on there. You got uh, you got YouTubers going on there making videos about it. Well, here's what happened in my playthrough. Your playthrough would be completely different. Yay! Yeah. yeah. You know, people want to watch a little bit more of that. Um, yeah, this, is, this is interesting because um, this is what happened with uh, Minecraft on YouTube a few right. years ago. And the YouTube had a problem with this, uh, with the ag- uh, algorithm, because so much people were watching Minecraft that YouTube had to twitch the algorithm to stop Minecraft. Because this is crazy how people like this kind of game, because you can make your story and see a different story. So yeah, this really works and this yeah. really creates a lot of content. So yeah, that is that is interesting. You do see you do see a couple of games um, being so popular that they will actually tweak algorithms. Yeah, yeah. Minecraft was crazy. <laughs> right, right. Like that that'll happen. Um, so so yeah, that those are those are kind of their their terms and they both offer the same uh, the same idea so aside from look not everybody's going to want to make a crafting game that's something that Mike Rose uh, mm-hmm. said as well like the biggest genres that sold on uh, on on Steam were uh, survival crafting right no mm-hmm. those 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 situational generators uh, and the first thing this guy gets up and asks him a question he's like hey look I want to make consumable games I'm an indie dev I want to make consumable games what can I do and they're offering the same kind of things that you guys have been you, you've been hitting on throughout this um so definitely what what he's saying is uh let's go back to mike because he's got a he's got a an idea he's like here's how he thinks indies can help in numbers um build communities around your game yeah uh which is interesting because i don't remember like community management and development has always been something that to me is is a very triple a thing you know it's like put a Put a human face on a corporate speak, yeah. <laughs> and your opinion matters. That's a very cynical way of looking at it. Um, but I, I, I think uh, I think for indies, having community management in that hasn't—it's not something you normally think, right? You think it's four dudes in a in a garage. You know, this is this is the programmer. I'm the artist, and I'm also the manager. You know, and it's like, but I'm all you know. The thing is, yeah. The thing is, uh, in that regards, it's even more important for indie games because, yeah. be honest. Yes, for a big AAA game, community management is important. But if you fire all your community managers, that will be bad. But if you have your big marketing push as a AAA game, you will sell copies anyway. For games as a service game or a long, long-lived game that might be have some further consequences, yes, I don't want to make people like me redundant. But yeah. the actual impact of marketing is more important than the impact of community management when it comes to sales. That's what I'm saying. Um, there are obviously other factors, but with indie games, good co- and smart community management has a way bigger impact yeah. than with a AAA game on your sales. Yeah, and we have a good example of this, like uh, from Dead Cells, uh, which is a, a French studio. It's such a Bordeaux. weird studio. I yeah. can see those guys talking in reboot. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And, I, and I meet them like a few years ago before the game uh, was coming out, and they do a really smart thing because they. They know they are, haven't the, the budget to pay uh, streamers or YouTubers, big YouTubers to make uh, them marketings. So they just get keys for lower uh, streamers than YouTubers who make their content for free 
who show their games, who give them feedback, create a community who gives them feedback, and they can announce the game, make something people uh, like more, and alone the game uh, reach bigger uh, press outlets, bigger streamers, bigger YouTubers, and in the end they get an award at the Game Awards. So boom, exactly. This is this is That's what you have to do. How you do it? Yeah. Yeah. That, I agree. So that, that ties in with the second point is understand better why people might choose to buy your game. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to kind of figure that out. But uh, understanding your own product is something that I've even, you know, talking to, talking to uh, any of the developers, any kind of developer conferences, you can see them kind of chew on that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like they're still finding themselves and these people are going to be beasts when they have a couple games in their belts, but you know, when they're first starting out, it's like, it's like this game or it's like this game. It's like, don't, don't focus on game comparison. That's, that's a trap that, that we all try to get out of. It's what is the unique experience of your game? And don't tell me it's Skyrim with guns, you know? Um, what else does he have? He has uh, price your games appropriately. I, where do you guys weigh in on this? Be honest. <laughs> You see, a, you see a five dollar game. What are you thinking? I, I, I think it's, it's important because there is two sides of this. Because if you put your game too low, I think um, people will start to think that your game is not so good. Uh, it's stupid, yeah. but it's true. And if you get your game too high, uh, you raise too much expectation and. This is, this is difficult. I think this is one of the most important things in game. Like, for example, in my review on my channels, I never uh, get, um, make a numbers on my critique. I always, always tell a price. And I think this is, this is why this is important because every game has a price. Even the shittiest game has a price. So the price is really important in this industry and you have to not make it too much low or too much high. And I think everybody, uh, a lot of people, uh, are aware of this. And this is, for example, what, what caused the, the, the bashing uh, of, of the first uh, Epic Store sales, because a lot of big studios like Borderlands didn't like the fact that they appear like 30 bucks instead of 50. So, the, yeah, I think this is really important to put the good price on the game. There's still a lot of things to, to the consumer. Yeah, I, I, the, that's, it, it's interesting, but there, there is that definite perception, right? Low-priced games... Yeah, are bad. Yeah. Um. So, so that, that was kind of the crux of his thing. It was like, like a lot of people are putting their games at five, seven bucks. You know, uh, ten, fifteen is where you kind of need to be. Mm. Um. Which is, God, man, like, as much uh, consumer-sided uh, torch waving as I do, like mm. it's sad that that makes that much sense. You know. Yeah. But I think you you pointed it earlier because because there is sales, you you have to have a good price because even if your game is always at 10 bucks if this is because there is a sale on it but if you put like 30 bucks and all the year it's 10 bucks people will say okay this game is actually really good and it's only 10 bucks for me but i see that the game it's a 30 bucks game so i think you have to think differently because even uh, especially on pc you have the culture of sales and you you have to make the first price uh, at the good price, but you can yourself uh, put you on sale a long time. So I think this is this is how you have to think when you start yeah. your game. Hundred percent agree. Um, I, I also I also like the uh, the kind of takeaways on on with with the wish list, especially like the way these guys are are dealing with this now is is working around Steam, not being able to count on Steam. And uh, keeping stuff like like yeah, if it is a too high a price point, are you more likely to see an interesting game and put it on your wish list, which is, which is great. 
I mean, like, uh, like some of the guys they were talking about, um, when were your big boosts in numbers, right? It was previously your release day and whenever there was a sale because mm-hmm. your stuff would shoot up. Uh, and um, I do apologize for reading the name of the developer, but it was like, hey, look, I am I, not getting any more visibility from a sale. Everything that I've made on this sale has been wish list redemptions, and they can see that. Mm-hmm. They can see when you bought off of a wish list. That is one way to to keep people doing it. I mean, what's what's the other like subscribing to a game? Have you ever subscribed to a game on Steam? Mm, rarely. I think I did it, but more like out of curiosity, what it does. It's free push notifications. No. I mean, that's <laughs> it's hard. It's a hard sell, but it's it's nice to attain. I mean, the wish list is also kind of like a free push notification if yeah. you so will. Yeah, sure. I mean, maybe. I mean, you, like you do get the email like, hey, this yeah. this. This game is on sale, which is why it's on your wish list anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're waiting for that price point to drop. So maybe there is there is that whole uh, that'll rack up the price to get them to do it. Um, Mike Mike suggests uh, enable to help is a marketing plan. Please stop thinking that your game is going to sell itself. Have a marketing plan. <laughs> Have a plan, goddammit, exactly. <laughs> uh, otherwise, no one will hear about your game. Um, one interesting thing that he's pointing out is that early access... Uh, which is still something to be considered. Like there is the perception of early access being busted or risk of it being finished, mm. which we've definitely had as someone who has helped push an early access game. Mm. You have to agree with me that there is absolutely that fear of people like, well, I don't want to label myself as early access. People think early access is broken. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it normalized itself. I mean, we had also here, we had the big early access boom. I mean, this is... It's not stupid way to say that now with basic economics. You have a boom, everyone rushes into something new mm-hmm. because it's successful, they're overdoing it, and then it collapses a little bit, and then there is the apocalypse behind that, and then it normalizes. In early access, a lot of people overdid it, mm-hmm. but it's still a valuable money, and you still should not underestimate first the tools and possibility it gives you to work together with your community and get that feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Second, it gives you two chances of releasing your game yeah. somehow. Because you have your indie game, you have one release, and that goes haywire, and no one notices you because of one million reasons. It's really hard to, to, to drag yourself back up. Mm. With an early access, let's say your early access is successful, it might be that your release is not successful, but you at least got some money from the early access phase and had a chance to build up a community. Maybe your early access was not that successful, but at least another push chance when the game is actually finished. So having two windows to actually push your game makes it a little bit easier especially in an overcrowded market sure uh, he, he agrees with you, but he's also saying that the perception of being busted or never finished seems to be largely untrue um, when you consider the sales yeah, yeah. so and, and I'm sure of this because as Basti said you have to this is a lot of uh, developers talk about this too um, what you said uh, I totally agree with you because yeah you have to have a game which is ready to early access you can do early access like we were doing a few years ago like uh, you have a broken game and you expect yeah. people to wait for you to fix it you have to yeah to have a loop uh, a gameplay loop that works the, the game should be optimized it, it, it should be work la- like, like intended and like you said it's a chance to have two release but no. A few early access, but we don't heard a lot of them because uh, they don't shine, uh, because they are not really good early access, still came out in, in a really bad yeah. way. So This is reminding me, because it's a tie. Why do I keep forgetting the name of the, the Dead Cells devs? What is it? Uh, Motion Twin. Motion Twin, yeah. So Because uh, they were talking about the exact same concept of 
when to go into early access. It was great. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it, was, it, was, uh, it was a chance. It was a very small room, so I got a chance to ask a question. But um, you know, they were talking about like you can't uh, just just as you said, you mm-hmm. can't put a broken game on early access anymore. Nobody wants the broken game. They want a game that is pretty much there that you're adding to yeah. over a certain amount of time. It's a soft launch, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. And I was like, uh, so so I'm asking, I'm like, so when did you decide to put your game on early access? And he goes, Well, we ran out of money, so. <laughs> I was like, That's, that's brilliant, but they, they they did that very well. They when Dead Cells went out on early access, it was it was not buggy, it was not busted, yeah. it was just missing some stuff. Um, either way, he is he is saying that that if you can if you can sell the dream of early access, that is that is a good way to do it. And the last thing that he suggests, which is hilarious to me and kind of made me think of the whole like make sure we define what an indie dev is. He says get a publisher. Mike has founded a publisher, so he might be a bit biased. Um, but he's saying that uh, that with the numbers that he's got, it's it's helping between three and six times yeah. for for revenue. Um, I think it's hilarious that we're in a place where we have to suggest to indie developers to get a publisher. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but I, I think this is not the the only way to go because there is so much uh, successful indies nowadays that have no publisher. But yeah. I think this is this is a choice, and there is a fifty fifty. I mean, we can have a 50 industry like, like publisher without publisher, but yeah, you have to be professional. If you can't, get a publisher. If you can, be professional, have a marketing plan. Yeah, I mean, I, I would almost suggest uh, the publisher is becoming more of a thing. I mean, we've seen the, the success of Devolver. Yeah. I mean, and they're pushing, they're pushing every year. That is a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you see also, who else is pushing indies? Humble? Uh, yeah. Um, Humble's pushing indies? Uh, Annapurna. Yeah, is a really good yeah. one. Um, um, I mean, the other the other game that I the other in the Void Bastards was the other game that I just finished. Uh, yeah, that uh, was a, that was humble published. Yeah, the most successful. The, the I'm sorry, the top selling game currently on Steam uh, is an indie that has been published. It's Temtem. Temtem. What's Temtem? Temtem is is Pokemon. Oh, okay. I'm too old for all of this, <laughs> but uh, but I, I and I, I just looked them up real quick. But it looked like um, it was a Kickstarter game. They made about half a mil. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that team has been every time I've seen them talk about it. Their team is between twelve and twenty people. But, you know, they they were they were also published, um, and they they mentioned that in their, their Kickstarter. We got most of the funding. We just want to kind of add this. I uh, Adult Swim publishes mm. a ton yeah. of, a ton of indies. I think it's fair to say that uh, if you have a publisher, that doesn't mean that you're not indie anymore. Divinity Original Sins 2, Bandai Namco. I mean, yeah. most games have actual publisher at some point, especially yeah. if you have console releases. The, the question is, yeah. are you owned right. by a bigger company? Yeah. How or much of a say yeah. do they yeah. have in your Exactly. And do you have right. say, if you have a publishing deal, how much is a deal putting you in handcuffs? Well, I mean, yeah. this is this is more something for them to watch out for, uh, for indie devs to watch out for, because yeah. you know I think it, it's going to be a matter of time People are already catching on to these trends. I mean, this is nothing new. We haven't uncovered anything revolutionary. I'm not. Uh, I'm not making a Pac-Man-like prediction. You know, Pac-Man prediction about what the industry is coming to. This stuff is known. Um, indie devs are going to be, if they haven't already, like uh, being approaching those smaller, uh, those smaller uh, publishers. Like, hey, I want to do this. And they're like, yeah, oh, that's not really. Crafting's big. You want to do something with crafting? And it's like, no, you know. Um, so there, there might be a little bit of that. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to hear about. This is what I wanted to point out uh, since the beginning of this podcast because yeah, indie publishers are not the same as uh, big publishers because sure. a lot of times uh, indie publishers are just people who, are, who make you some advice and help you distribute yeah. your game but not 
maybe a few times, but I think uh, a lot of the times they didn't um, get into the, the the development of your games. They they trust you. You have a good uh, concept. They accept to get you on board with your concept. They can you give give you advice, but I think. What I heard from a lot of developers with publisher, a lot of times there are more distributors and uh, mar- and marketing teams that really people who will, who will tell you not to, don't do a game like this, make, make it like this. Right. So I, I agree with that. I think the only caution there is that is that the way I would describe a lot of these publishers is record labels, right? Yeah. Because they're picking yeah. up something that yeah. is in their niche. You know what a Devolver digital game is going to be. Yeah. I don't have to tell you too much. You know what an Adult Swim is going to be. You know what a Humble Bundle game is probably yeah. going to be. So this is more like you know what they like, yeah. but um, this is not what they the, always make. But, the, but there's one th- the question is where it ends. You know, like 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 right now it seems really great. The, 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 the question for indie guys is how can they swim above a deluge of 8,000 release games on Steam? Mm. Publisher will help that. Mm. It's it's when that it, or if you know it could be doom saying it's if that price becomes like like a like a uh, record like music industry style now. So the thing is there are like two two major differences when it comes to publishing. There's something which indie indie uh, studios or developers should keep in mind. If you're just looking for someone who helps you with uh, distribution and marketing, so at the end of your development cycle to actually get that game out. That is usually where you have a lot of different smaller publishers. Sometimes not even like the indie darlings. There are a shit ton of small publishers helping you out with that kind of like stuff. Um, obviously, the deal is usually not as good. You often get not even like proper money for that, especially. But you get a free marketing campaign or free visibility. While the other model is um, you actually need funding for your development, and tough luck getting a deal with someone who is not impa- not having a hand on your development and is saying in your development process because you're basically asking someone give me money to develop something for you kind of in a way even if it keep, stays your property Devolver etc is really good in that but also these uh, publishers who partially fund development are very careful what they put in their portfolio but um, yeah maybe find a model for you to develop a game which you can stand financially on your own finish on your own if it's early access kickstarter or just having savings and being smart about that and then find a publisher for your marketing deal to get it out but i have the feeling that a lot of game developers i mean you hear that sobbing stories about like oh we have nothing to eat whatever being a creative person is great being a creative genius is great but at the end you run a business you're not yeah. painting a picture you're running uh, you, you're creating a very very complex piece of software hmm. that means you cannot just be a creative genius or a good programmer you have to get your shit together when it comes to marketing how to run a business how to market your game how to uh, uh, how the industry works yeah. uh, how data works what's going on you have to go through all that and that takes time and dedication that's not yeah. easy you're right i think people sh- uh, should Never forget that there is two sides of games. There is the arts uh, side of the game and the, the economic side of game, and you have to to make them both work to have a good game. I think absolutely right. That that was uh, the indie apocalypse. <laughs> What's next? The well, console was, apocalypse, was, right? <laughs> Stadia apocalypse. Another. Co- <laughs> that actually might be a future episode. I shouldn't have said that out loud. The clouds just got dark. The wind picked up. Um, do you guys have any parting thoughts on what you think about the indie apocalypse? Do you think uh, do you think it's a phenomenon? 
that uh, that will be isolated or will shifts happen? What do you oh, think? I think the, the, the big boom is over. It normalized and that's good. And we can come out in a, in a healthy way. And I think to, to every... Oh, he says, as a member of a big publisher, um, everybody's going to be fine. Everyone is going to be fine. From his ivory tower of money. <laughs> so, like there's one, one advice, um, I would say, which every indie developer should keep in mind. Um... The entry barrier is very, very easy. Everyone can make games. Everyone can become an amateur game developer and there's nothing bad. But to be a proper indie game developer, it takes a little bit more and that is something, a challenge you have to face and that does not come easy, but never comes. And if you want to be like that in future, be that way. Maybe all your, your driving goal is starting as an amateur or even as a professional that then goes indie, making one or two successful indie games and the heck sell your game to sell your studio to microsoft or whatever and, and living the triple a life doesn't matter but realize who you are right now maybe you are not there maybe you have creative ideas you're a great artist or whatever but just realize that to become a successful indie dev you have uh, indie dev you have to learn a lot of like about uh, how to run a business how the game industry works etc all these professional skills and that is part of that deal mm-hmm. yeah right yeah i think uh one thing to uh, indie games are to not forget is the community, as we said before, because this is really important. I really think this is something you can't miss because if people talk about your games, YouTuber will watch your game, streamer will know about your game, so it's really important. But I'm really curious to see how does the Switch environment and the Epic Games environment evolve because right now there is 200 games on Epic. This is not so much, but how many games will there be on Epic in one or two years and how how can they manage to not become the Steam of today? So I think this will be interesting. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think the Apocalypse is, has calmed down, but I I wonder if it's not going to be a, a cycle if Epic yeah. is not careful. So I think yeah. something, something else will break. Yeah. That's a good no. optimistic outlook. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if people want to tell you how wrong you are, Basti, where can they find you? At Bastian Thun, THN on Twitter. Kevin, thank you so much for bringing an awesome topic. I, it was a blast to research a little bit. It was very fun to talk about. Where can people find you anywhere? Uh, they can find me on uh, Facebook and Twitter at uh, Jean-Baptiste Show. But uh, my at on Twitter is really complicated. So just type Jean-Baptiste Show and you will find me. Type that in Twitter. Um, as always, you can uh, you can find me at uh, Findipocalypse. Uh, that is just my Twitter feed for trying to sneak fish into Marcel's food. Um, so join on, uh, add suggestions. If you have anything for the podcast, send an email to projectilelunchcast at gmail.com. If you send me an email, I'll fucking read it on this podcast. I, I dare you. I dare you to send me an email. Other than that, uh, we will be back next week. Uh, since since Marcel's gone, do you guys have any uh, alternate ways you wanted to close the podcast? You want to talk about Todd Howard? It's your favorite Todd Howard moment. Do you have a what's new in the the latest anime season? Yeah, uh, just yeah, anime did nothing wrong. <laughs>
Got me some roses and a little 